Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. I'm so glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into a message from Pastor Roger. But before we do, I want to encourage you, connect with us online. Whether that's following us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, or it's subscribing to our YouTube page or this podcast, do it. We want to stay connected. And another great way you can connect with us is be our guest on a Sunday morning service. If you're here locally, come on out. We want to meet you and connect with you, worship with you. We'd really enjoy that. But without further ado, let's jump into this message from Pastor Roger. Everybody. So starting next week, we're going to be doing two services. Just going to reiterate that. It's so 9.30, 11.15, and then at the end of August, we'll go back to doing uh, three services. But it, just right now, everybody is out fishing and having a good time. And like they should be, we deserve it after this winter that has started and stopped and started and stopped and started. And, oh, it's, it's just kept going. But um, <laughs> hey, so... Um, we, we have a very um, unique conversation going on in our country, and I, I didn't want to uh, pass it by without talking about it. I don't know if you're anything like me, but my social media feed, my news feed, everything that I get any information from is just completely inundated with, um, with the whole Roe versus Wade, um, the whole issue. And, um, and I think it's, it's really disappointing to me to see that our, our country is reduced to caricatures of two extreme positions. So I, I'm going to get into my message in a little bit. I just, I, I just here's what I think. I just think if you're, if you're going to get a Christian perspective on something, it's going to happen at the church. So um, I'm going to take a moment before I, I preach, and I'll keep the sermon short because I, I understand you've got to get to... Uh, Dickies to get some barbecue. And, <laughs> but we, we, we've created caricatures. And, and what's happened in our country is we've got, we've got people that are uh, super hard right and super hard left. And, and just from my perspective, it seems like all, all the wackos are on the hard right and the hard left. You know what I mean? Like, it's, like I'm just like, I, I, don't, I don't know that either of you know what you're talking about. And I think it's really a great opportunity for the church, honestly. I think there's a great moment in the next 20 years for the church of Jesus Christ to just give a reasonable voice. Just give a reasonable voice. And so um, I, I wanted to talk about this whole issue because um, there's just not a lot of biblical, biblical perspective being put out there. And there's a lot of straw man arguments about what this group says and what this group says. And it's, it's just not fair. Um, Think beginning the conversation about it, you need to know this, that seven of, of ten, number one, I'm always going to err on the side of grace. Yeah. Always. Yeah. So, and I'm very well aware that there are men and women in this room, and I say men and women because men are involved in decisions too, men and women in this room that have made uh, choices to terminate uh, a, a pregnancy. And you're not, you're not going to get any um, fingers pointed from me, okay? Um, I, I believe the grace of God is, is for all of us. Really, I really do. Um, uh, people tell me, like, what's going on in their life. They're like, you're not surprised? I'm like, no, I'm, 
Like, I'm pretty used to people. We, we, we do things. <laughs> but here's the deal. Um, I think one of, the, one of the big mischaracterizations of this whole thing is this is um, often like an us versus them. Christians versus non-Christians. It's not true. Statistically, 7 of 10 women that end a pregnancy check the box that says they identify as Christian. 7 of 10. And, and I have sat with men and women um, that have made these choices. And, and I want you to know, again, you're not, you're not going to get finger-wagging from me. But I do want you to know what the Christian perspective is. Okay, like the historical Christian perspective. Is that okay? So, historically, the church has always affirmed the idea that there is life inside the womb. And here's why. In the scripture, I'm just going to take three verses. I could do a lot more, but I'm going to take three verses. I'm going to point to them. So, the first is Psalm 139, verse 13. It says this. This is King David, and he's he's talking um, to God about himself. And it's a, it's a poem. So there's going to be stuff, some stuff in there. You're like, that's not literal. That's not how it happens. God doesn't knit people with knitting needles. Um, it's because it's a poem. And the intent is to give the thought. Okay? So it says this. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it's very knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. He's not saying people are are things from inside the earth. It's a poem about being hidden from the world outside. He says, "Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them." The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So King David had a conviction that just said, I I believe that God knew me and saw me before I saw myself. Before I was aware of my own self, God was aware of who I was. And that God designed me. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, when God is calling Jeremiah into ministry, God refers to the same thing. He says this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. We've got got some mood lighting. (laughs) Okay. Before I I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you you, you a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah is saying he has this conviction that God knew him before he knew himself. That's what he's saying. He's saying, God, you knew me before I knew myself. And not only did you know me, but you had a plan or a purpose for my life. We believe that people are not, like, we don't become Christians to just be saved. We become Christians to be able to discover the plan and purpose God has for our lives. Like, being saved is just one little tick along the road. That's what Jeremiah is saying. He's saying, you knew me, God. This is, in Luke chapter uh, 1, this is Jesus' cousin. And it says this. Um, I've just got verse 15 up here, but I'm going to read the context. It says, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, that's Jesus' uncle, uh, for your prayers, your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, 
and you shall call his name John. And you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Verse 15, for he will be great before the Lord and must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. So what's going on there is, is the writer Luke is, is claiming that John, Jesus' cousin, had an encounter, a spiritual encounter with God while he was still in the womb. So from, just from these texts, we're seeing that um, God, God would know someone's personhood even before they're self-aware. Um, and we see that not only that, but God can have an encounter with somebody before they're really um, uh, self-aware of what's going on in the world around them. And, and this is the traditional Christian view on this whole issue. Um, and, and it doesn't just stop there. After... Uh, the new church began, some of the very first writings of the new church that were used as teaching methods, um, they included this. One of them would be called the didache. It's, it means the teaching. And the didache includes this, um, this position on abortion, even, um, even back then in the first century. And it doesn't stop there. Uh, in the fifth century, the bishop of Hippo, his name was August, Augustine, he he affirmed this, and he said, we believe um, from what we see in Scripture that, that God does affirm life in the womb. Um, this is not a new conversation, people. Nothing, nothing's new under the sun. In, in fact, when we look at God driving the children of, or using the children of Israel to uh, move into the land of Canaan, one of the main charges God had against the people in Canaan was the way they treated infants. It's, it's, very, it's just very... Uh, it's been part of Christianity. This is not something new. And the other side of it is this, is that the, the, the natural law states that there's really no other basis for justice except for the immutable rights that are inherent in a human being. The, the, the way we come at justice is recognizing that every human has inherent immutable rights. And the problem Christians have with abortion is that abortion negates the equality by, neg by negating an entire class of humans. And Christians have a responsibility. We believe as Christians, we have a responsibility, not just to teach what we believe, but we believe we have a responsibility to roll up our sleeves and make a difference in the world, specifically a responsibility to speak for those without voices, a responsibility to help those who are oppressed, a responsibility to come to the aid of those that are marginalized, those that are homeless, and those that are refugees, and those that are vulnerable. And by definition, an unborn child meets all of those categories. And, and I understand that there are people in the room today, you would disagree with me. You're totally a Christian. You, you can disagree with me and be a Christian. You know, you know that, right? There's people that disagree with me, and that's, that's fine. I just want to give you sort of the classic Christian perspective on this. Because I think it gets lost. And we're really being discipled by, by our TVs and our phones. We cannot legislate morality. You can't pass a law that somehow makes people better people. 
but you can try to save some lives. And I think in this, this case, pe- people might say, well, why, why are Christians so excited about this? Do they feel like they're imposing their Christianity on non-Christians? And I hear that point, but, but I would point towards Martin Luther King, who was speaking for the marginalized, speaking for the oppressed. And although he was very Christian in his belief, and all those that marched with him were very Christian in their beliefs, it, it wasn't about a political position. It was about standing up for those that cannot speak for themselves. So as a church, as the body of Christ, we have historically stood with moms, the motherless. Um, In fact, Jesus says true religion is this, to care for the widows and the orphans. And we can get caught up thinking that true religion is memorizing some sort of a script somewhere, and it's not. It's when we roll up our hands and we pull out our pocketbooks. That true religion is really when we put our money where our mouth is, our time where our mouth is, and our energy where our mouth is. And Christians have done this for a long time. In fact, statistically, Christians outpace any other demographic for... um, uh, for adoptions. In fact, the, the adoption rate for Christians is two, time, two and a half times that of the average American, adopting people without children. The Christians are exponentially more generous to the poor and to the needy with their time and with their money than any other category of people in the country. Over a half of all refugee settlements in the world are Christian organizations that are helping refugees. Hospitals are literally a Christian institution that has become a secular institution, but it initiated or it it began as a Christian effort. That's why the names of of your hospitals are all Christian names. Uh, Public education, literally a Christian endeavor to bring up the level of life for people around the world. And yes, the government has assumed that responsibility, but originally it was Christians that believed making a difference for those around them. Orphanages around the world under the banner of Christ. Other organizations, and I would say this, even in dealing with this situation, Uh, Pregnancy care centers around America are not publicly funded. They're funded by Christians and by churches just trying to give options to people um, that would love to find a healthy alternative. In fact, in Texas alone, there is nine church-funded pregnancy centers for every single abortion care clinic. And so as a church, we have... We have been involved in supporting and partnering with uh, a pregnancy care center here in town. Um, and, and we're happy to stand with them whether they choose to, um, to keep the baby or whether they choose to, um, to end the pregnancy. We're, we're willing to stand with them through that process. Um, and not just stand with them through that. Um, the pregnancy care center we partner with here in town has a, an additional building on the, the side of it that they purchased three years ago. It's called the nesting place. And we've just recently, we've been able to raise the money and finally get the, the work underway, and it's going to be able to house nine separate single mothers and their children. So that when if they want to choose life, they can choose life and have a, a low-income, nice place to stay to get on their feet and figure out what their next steps are. And I think that should be the role of the church in this. It's not 
to point fingers and to shout people down on social media. It's put your money where your mouth is. Care for people. If you're going to say you care for people, care for people. Because my biggest heartbreak right now is this, is seeing believers in the name of Jesus say very mean, harmful things. And the Christian perspective on this is not a mean, harsh thing. It's just a simple, a simple perspective that we get from Scripture. Everything we say must be just washed in the grace of God. Washed in the grace of God. And so I would tell you, church, let's, let's be the kind of church that rallies around single moms. Let's be the kind of church that rallies around young couples that are trying to make a go of it. Let's be the kind of church that comes alongside people that need help and not just snub our noses and vote our policies, but not put our shoulders into loving people the way they need to be loved. So for us, again, this, the, the church, um, for the church, it's not a political issue. For us, it's a moral issue in, in, in the same sense of like civil rights. For us, it's a moral issue. And you may disagree with me, and that's fine. I'm totally good with people disagreeing with me. Um, yeah, we can, we can love each other even though we disagree. Let me just pray. Lord, I pray that you would, um, that you would be with every single um, woman that has walked the road of ending a pregnancy. And this whole conversation is stirring up so much inside of her. God, I pray that you would heal those old wounds. That they wouldn't just scar over and, and become numb. But God, they'd be healed and refreshed and restored in your grace. God, I pray for your church that we would not just wag our fingers and shout our opinions. God, that we would be the kind of people that open our, or, our arms and our doors and our pocketbooks and our hearts towards those that need help the way you intended. God, I pray for our nation that can't seem to agree on anything. Your word says that a house divided against itself cannot stand. So, God, we say, have mercy on our nation. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So I'm talking about fruit of the Spirit. Um, I'm, I'm talking about fruit of the Spirit today. So let's just get on that. So... Uh, <laughs> It's, I don't know, all three servers, I'm like, I don't know how to transition out of that. Like, I, don't, I don't know how. But I do know, if, if you're not going to hear it anywhere else if you don't hear it here. Um, fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, Paul tells us to walk in step with the Spirit. And the way I grew up when I heard that, walk in step with the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, what I heard, I was a little, like, Pentecostal kid. So what, what I'm hearing when I hear walk in the spirit is like walk around, speaking in tongues, laying hands on people, prophesying, having words of knowledge, all that. And I, I believe in all the gifts of the spirit, still do. But when Paul says walk in the spirit, he's not saying be, a, be like looking for someone to give a prophetic word to. That's not what he's saying. He clarifies what he's saying when he says this about the fruit of the spirit. He says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. 
love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience. That's where, our, where we are today. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Point at your neighbor. There is no law against these things. God, what, what, it look, what Paul's saying it looks like for a believer to walk in the spirit, it, it's not to be super spiritual. It's to have some fruit in your life that changes the way you interact with other people and the world around you. There should be like a drastic difference between those that are living for God and those are not. Today we're talking about patience. And patience is a hard one for me because I don't even think I have the authority to be up here preaching about patience. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like let's be honest. When, my, when I'm going to go shopping at a store, I'm like, hey, babe, I know exactly what I need. I know where it is. Can you stop by Home Depot? It'll take me five minutes. I'll run in. I'll get it. I'll be right back. I'm just grabbing a box of nails. I'm done. And I'll go in. I'll get it. Bring it out. Check out with it. And then what happens is, like, if it takes me more than five minutes, it's because the checkout line was unavailable or I just got stuck behind some people. But I have my thing and I'm out the door in five minutes. And my wife, I'm not, I'm not like generalizing like all women, but I know my wife. So she'll be like, hey, hey, babe, can we just, can we just stop by um, Target? I, I, I just need to, I just need to get a pillow sham at Target. Can I just tell you, that's like the worst marketing thing in the world to start with. Like calling your product a sham, it's the, it's the, it's the worst marketing strategy ever. And she, she's like, I just need to go get a pillow. I'm like, okay, that's, that's fine. So, so we'll go there. But, but the Lord knows. She's not going to take, five, she doesn't know, like she knows where it is, but she's not going to be five minutes. She's going to go down every single aisle in Target looking at everything they had three months ago that she looked like. Every, it doesn't change. Like, yay, I am Target and I changeth not. And she still walks every aisle. What I love about Target is that, um, if, especially if you're a young parent with, with little kids, they've got this section when you first walk in of dollar toys. And it is the most incredible way to bribe your children. You know what I'm saying? That's good parenting sometimes. And so you just you're like, hey, pick out something for a dollar. If you don't scream, you get it when we leave. <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. But, but so this is like, like I'm just... I find myself just impatient. Unless she wants to go to a store like Bed Bath & Beyond that has like a massage chair. And I'm like, baby, just take your time. Like, I'm good. I find myself a little impatient. I, I think for me, uh, I discovered, like I always thought I was super even killed, never had a temper, always patient until I had kids. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I had kids and I was like, oh, my God, what's happening to me? Like, ah! Sometimes with kids, it's just so hard. Like, I told you to clean your room. I, I told you to clean. I told you to mow the lawn. Like, you just keep going. But, but the deal is that we live in a, a very impatient culture, don't we? Just culturally, we are impatient. Ohio State did a, a study, and I don't know how they got to their metrics, but here's two points from their study. That, that a person is visibly upset, that the average American right now is visibly upset if it takes 16 seconds for a web page to upload. Which I'm just saying, you need to go back to 1992 with me. That's what I'm saying. Like, you need to go back to AOL 500 free minutes and see what, you know, and you sit there, you're like trying to open AOL Instant Messenger and it's like inching up. It's like, bank, bank. Like, it's just, you're just sitting there all day. You could drink a whole iced tea while that thing is like uploading. 
Now we just expect like instant, amazing internet anywhere. Honey, we're getting a different hotel. This is terrible. In that same study, they found that 20, if, if a person had to wait at a traffic light for 25 seconds, that they, they showed visible responses of frustration. The Lord knows that's true. I mean, think about it like this, like Amazon overnight. Like, that's the most amazing thing in the world, that Amazon can get you just about any product in the world overnight. It's amazing. Like, I don't have to wait. I remember ordering from the Kool-Aid man. Remember the Kool-Aid man, how you get the Kool-Aid points, and you, you'd order stuff from Kool-Aid, and it would take, like, 17 weeks, and then you get, like, this dinky little toy that costs 25 cents? Not now. You can order, like, anything you want in a day. Uh, before service, Tom was, Tom was in there. <laughs> I mean, you're my example today. He was, he was on Amazon looking. And I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm seeing if it's getting delivered. Because you can order something. And then what do we do? We, we get in there and we check the shipping status. And we look. Uh, two hours later, did it move? Well, like, it didn't leave Cincinnati yet. Like, I just, I just need to know that it's not like Nashua somewhere. Like, it's got to it's get over here. Like, and so we're, we're constantly looking. And, and it's just the worst thing when it says, like, you wake up in the morning, check it, and it says, uh, on route, it's being delivered. It says from from 12:30 to 3:30 p.m. And you're like, oh, this is amazing. It's coming to my house today. I'm gonna get a late lunch. I'm gonna go get my thing. And so you like wait till it's about lunchtime. And just before you leave the office, you pull it up and you, you punch it in and you look and you realize and it says, no. Now being delivered at 9 p.m. <laughs> like, no, like, ah, how is this possible? I ordered it last night. Like, how can it not be here? I ordered it 24 hours ago. It should already be here. It's even worse when you go into a store and the clerk's like, oh, we don't have what you're looking for, but we can order it for you. Like, are you in like 1983? Come on. No, you can't order it for me. If you order it for me, it's going to take two weeks to get here. It's going to go back to you anyway. And then i got to drive to you to go get it. I said, no, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. I don't need you to order it for me. You know what I'm doing? I'm like calling Brother Jeff Bezos on the way out the door, like getting whatever I need tomorrow. Because we are very impatient. Incredibly impatient. And when Paul uses this word impatience, it's two Greek words that mean long and heat. He's saying this, that patience is the ability to, to handle the heat. It's the ability to stay in the heat. It's the ability to wait well. Because we all know you're going to wait whether you do it patiently or impatiently. You're going to wait. But patience is the ability to simply stay in the heat and wait well. Can I tell you that the best things God has for your life will always be behind the door of patience. If it's love or romance you're looking for, God has a plan. But it's behind the door of patience. If it's a business opportunity that you're waiting for, I'm telling you, God has the perfect plan for you. But it's behind the door of patience. If it's a ministry opportunity that he has placed in your life, God has a plan. But it is behind a long door called patience. And James in the Bible talks about patience. I'm going to sit on James for just a minute and just stay right here. I love James because James is, is not just another like apostle or disciple. He's the brother of Jesus Christ. 
And if there's ever been proof that Jesus really is God, it's when your brother says you're God. You know what I'm saying? Like, like if, if, if it was my brother, I'd be like, no, I remember that time. Like, he was so mean. Like, no, James is like, he's God. Like, that, you've done some convincing or he's true. You know, he's, a, he's the real deal. And James says it like this. He says, dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait because you will wait. For the Lord's return, and consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. Patience is not a decision. Like, I'm a patient person, and so that means I like to wait. No, you will wait, whether you like it or not. But he said, the way we wait is we look to farmers. Look to them farmers, because the farmers know something about patience that you might not know. Have you ever seen those videos of, of children on YouTube where they, they give them a marshmallow and they say, okay, honey, like, here's a marshmallow. Don't eat the marshmallow. <laughs> so cruel. Don't eat the marshmallow. If you don't eat the marshmallow, we'll give you a huge bag of marshmallows and when we get back. And then the mom walks out of the room and the little girl's like, Oh, mama said not to eat the marshmallow. No, mom said no. And then when mom comes in, she's like, I didn't eat the marshmallows, mama. (laughs) It's so hard to wait and be patient when the good things are right there in front of you sometimes. And the reason it's so hard to wait is this, is that time feels longer when you are experiencing it. So I, I took a flight from San Francisco to Tel Aviv, 14 and a half hours. 14 and a half hours, not the most fun thing in the world. And my, my wife, I, I land, I call, the first thing I do, I call her, I'm like, hey, babe, I land. And she's like, oh, so soon. <laughs> like, so soon? I've been sitting here, like, sweating in this thing. This is not soon. This is horrible. Because it felt like forever. Because time is longer when you're experiencing it. What I'm saying is this, like, somebody may look at you and say, oh, it's okay, honey. Like, God's going God's gonna to take care of your, ma- your marriage. He's going he's gonna to resolve your marriage. And you're like, that's great and all, but I'm in this moment of time. I'm the one experiencing it. And you say, oh, it's easy. It's just a couple of years, not a big deal. But for you, it feels like a lifetime because time is longer when you experience it. No, just trust. Like, there's a, there's a downturn in the economy. Just trust that God's got the whole world in his head. Just trust it. Just smile real big and just pretend like there's no problem. And the problem is when you're in the middle of the downturn in the economy and you're, you've got your chips on the table, time is a lot longer for you than it is for someone that has no skin in the game. Does that make sense? That's why patience is so hard. Because time feels longer when we are experiencing it. I, I took my kids to the zoo on Monday, uh, just my, my younger two. Don't tell my older one because he's, he's not here. And um, 
But I, I, I took him to the zoo. And, and you know, I was, I was going to be a good dad. My, my wife was doing something. I don't know. I was being a good dad. So I was like, all right, let's go to the zoo. We get to the zoo. We find a parking spot, which was terrible. We find a fine one. And we, we get in there. And I go to the kiosk. And I buy a couple tickets. And we go in. I'm like, hey, they're going to have the whole zoo experience. So I go over to the concession stand. And I get a couple waters. Because you know that the zoo food is more expensive than theater food. So you just get water. You know, like We're just going to get water and smile. And so we, we get, I, I got them ice cream. And so. They're walking, they're licking their ice cream, and I'm like, hey, kids, look, there's a lion. Like, hey, kids, look, there's a zebra. Hey, kids, there's, there's a giraffe. Like, oh, oh, right over here. Like, this, oh, there's, we're in, this is a lep, the, the reptiles and the snakes. Okay, great. Oh, this is a penguin. Look at the penguins. Kids, look at the penguin. Okay. And about halfway through it, I realized, like, I'm just checking off the box of, like, being a good dad takes his kids to the zoo. So worried about trying to take my kids to the zoo that I'm not experiencing the zoo with my kids. So many of us are so worried about trying to get through whatever season we're in in life that we don't just stop and experience the season we're in. Because God may give you a vision and a dream. He may give you a plan. But I'm telling you, God's real purpose is not the goal. Like God's great agenda is never that you would finish the process. His real agenda is that the process would do something inside of you. That, that the journey in, in going wherever he's called you would somehow shape you and mold you into a different person than you are now. Because he's calling you to be somebody better than you are now. If God has given you a dream, I promise you, it is going to take longer and be harder than you imagine. And that's not a bad thing. James goes on and says this, Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. And when we hear that, we think, oh, he's talking about like Jesus coming back, something like that. No, he's not. In context, he's talking about God delivering them in the middle of trial. He's saying, like, in the middle of the season you're in where you're just like, God, would you just show up? Like, we just need an answer. We just need a real solution. We just need to have some confidence. And he's saying, just wait patiently because he will return. I'm just telling you, there have been times in my life when I did not know where to turn or what to do. And God showed up in the middle of a circumstance that I didn't know how to handle myself. And it was because we waited on the Lord. He showed up and showed himself true in our lives. I'm saying he can do it for you. He can do it for you. What your strength won't budge, your resilience can outlast. My dad, I, I was in junior high, and my dad, I was having some trouble with some boys. My dad said, son, don't worry about it. Just outlast them. Because I think so many times we just feel this need to like defend ourselves, just kind of wade into things and just try to fix it right now. And the truth is, most things in life, if you can just outlast it, if you can learn the gift of patience, you can outlast just about anything in life. And he says this, he says, consider the farmers who patiently wait. He's saying, if you want to know what it looks like to walk in the spirit of God, think like a farmer. 
it doesn't look like speaking something and expecting it to appear right now, although God does answer prayers. We believe that. But that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit looks like patiently waiting for God to show up in his timing, in his place. Like having confidence that I may not feel like this is happening as fast as I would like it, but I serve the kind of God that is always on time, never late, never early, always dead, perfect, on time. So think like a farmer. Because for me, I grew up in Alaska, and in Alaska, fruit tastes like water. I didn't like fruit growing up. People would give us watermelons, and they do watermelon eating contest at the parade, and I was like, why would anyone eat watermelon? It tastes like water. It watermelon, like it's gross. And and then tomatoes. My wife, or I, I get a tomato. I never like tomatoes. They're always just, just they had no flavors. Like red water. You know what I mean? And I think it's because in, in Alaska, two things. Number one, uh, fruits grow in cans in Alaska, and <laughs> and the second thing is everything is picked so early that it's not ripe when it gets to us. And so when I first started dating my wife, she took me to her dad's garden, and she's like, hey, you want to see something cool? And she reached down, she grabbed a tomato. She knew I'd never seen a tomato being grown on the ground. She grabs this tomato, she pulls it off, and she cuts it with a knife and puts some salt on it. She's like, try this. I was like, I'm not touching that. That's nasty. I already know. Red water. She's like, take a bite. And my life changed. Because it matters if you're impatient and you pull that fruit too soon, you don't get the benefits of the fruit, do you? I mean, think about pineapples. In America, we have pineapples, and they taste real like tart and, and kind of like tangy. But if you talk to somebody that's from a country that grows pineapples, they will tell you it should never be tangy and it should never be tart. In fact, it should be oozing something similar to honey, and it tastes like a honeycomb when you bite in, just absolute sugar. But we never experience that, do we? Because they have to pick it early to get it to us. I'm saying God has things in your life that if you pick it too early, it's just not going to be what it could have been. Patience. Patience. Fruit is always is miraculous. Anytime fruit grows, it's always a miraculous act of God. But here's the deal. The farmer cannot produce the fruit, but the farmer can cultivate the atmosphere and the environment in which fruit grows. The farmer can make sure the nourishment is getting there. He can make sure that the soil is tilled. He can make sure that that shade or sun is provided when it's needed. The water's there. He can do those kind of things. Waiting patiently looks like not trying to force fruit to happen, but just cultivating an environment where fruit can happen. That's what patience looks like. I heard one preacher say it like this, that Christians are like tea bags. You never know what's inside of them until you put them in hot water. And then you see what comes out. You see what comes out. Controversial issues like are going in our country. You see what's really inside someone. Do do they actually love and care? You see it now. And then he says this, that they eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. Growth is... Growth is always inevitable. They're eagerly looking. As the band would come, a farmer, a farmer's, they're not going out every day and like inspecting each crop. 
but they're paying close attention to the phases of that crop. They, they notice when the first buds are coming up. They, they notice when it's getting too much water and too little water. They see it all because a farmer knows something, that if he cultivates the soil and if he's patient, the spring rain and the fall rain will come. Or if you're in Idaho, you're going to have to make your own rain. But you're going you're to cultivate it because growth is always inevitable. It will happen. G. Campbell Morgan, uh, he was a, a preacher like in the 1800s. He talks about the story of a man that was buried in a tomb. When they were burying him, they, an, an acorn accidentally fell into the tomb with him. They buried him, and then they put a memorial, a marble memorial over top of the grave. And they thought that the story was ended there. But what they didn't realize was the thing that farmers know, that growth is inevitable. And that acorn began to germinate, and it began to grow, and it began to push. And at first it just looked like a little sliver of grass coming through the marble. But as that acorn began to push and push, it took 600 years, and it eventually shattered the marble on top of the tomb and now a large oak tree has grown can I just tell you that when you put an acorn next to a rock the acorn always wins I was at a friend's house and there's this this rock near his house it's right here or near his cabin this, this rock's near his cabin and I don't know if you can tell or not but this is a giant boulder. This boulder's um, probably 15 feet tall. Probably 20, 25 feet wide. Big boulder. But at some point, 100 years ago, I have no idea, there was an acorn underneath that rock. And it just began to grow patiently growing, not seeing big results, just patiently growing. And when you put, a, put an acorn with a rock, the acorn always wins. And it has broken through this rock, and now it's this incredible thing to just go stand and look at. Can I tell you that sometimes we, we long for a real breakthrough in our lives, and we think breakthrough looks like a prayer from some holy person a knowing some uh, seven steps to a better life is going to give me breakthrough. Can I just tell you that in the kingdom of God, somebody that's walking in the spirit of God, breakthrough looks like patience. Whatever you're facing in your life right now, maybe it's in your marriage, maybe it's in your finances, maybe it's just in your soul, maybe it's in your health. I'm telling you, that a patient acorn always defeats the giant obstacle. It always outlasts the rock. So would you stand with me across the room? My Bible says this, that whatever good thing God began in you, he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. 
lives. That means God doesn't start something in your life to stop it. If he began something in you, if he spoke a word into your life, he has every intent of keeping that word. The psalmist says it like this, that they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall walk and not grow weary. They shall run and not grow faint. I'm just telling somebody today that what you need is a renewal of a sense of patience. I'm going to wait on God's timing, God's plan. I'm just going to wait. Like, I'm just going to choose. I will wait well. Like, it may not be right now, but I will wait well. So right now, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. All across the room, if there's something that you just feel like, it just, it makes you antsy. Maybe it's a big rock in your life, like that rock, just... The, the situation you wish would change. If you have that situation, maybe it's a loved one. I don't know. But I want you to like symbolically grab that thing and just kind of hold it to the Lord. And we're going to see some breakthrough, but not breakthrough some, through naming it and claiming it, but breakthrough through a godly patience in God's timing. So just hold it right now and we're going to pray right now. God, your children are patiently waiting on you. And so often we try to take the reins out of your hands and solve our lives on our own. But God, we are the kind of people that are determined that we will not stop your process of growth in our life by getting out of where you have placed us, but instead we choose to patiently wait on the Lord. And I pray that your times of refreshing would come. I pray that your moment of hope would be revealed in someone's life. Lord, I pray that as they wait for that loved one, that they'd see that loved one turn back towards them, towards you. God, I pray right now for that person that's waiting for you to make a difference in their financial situation and they don't know what to do and they don't know how to fix it all. I pray that they'd wait and just keep cultivating an environment where you can produce fruit because we know always produce food. We love you, Lord. We thank you today. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church to find out more. Well, we love you guys and let's continue to love God, love people and change the world.